1: Welcome to Mind Love, episode 39. Today's episode is all about how your words create your reality.
2: Everything you say, everything you do, every word that comes out of your mouth, every choice you take, every action you make in the thinnest sliced moment of life is either creating a deeper connection to what you want or it's driving a disconnection.
0: Turn up your
1: frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. First off, Mind Love is now a CastBox original. CastBox is the fastest-growing, highest-rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, where you can get all of your favorite podcasts. It has a super clean layout and you can create playlists and download episodes to play offline. It's my personal favorite and where I listen to all of my podcasts. Don't worry, you can still listen to Mind Love wherever you get your podcasts, but I hope you'll give CastBox a try. Second, don't forget to subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're listening on and leave a review if you can. Reviews really help to entice more amazing guests. Plus, it helps me grow the show, which ultimately helps me give more value to you guys. Today, we're talking about how our words don't just influence our lives. They actually create our realities. Most of us have heard this in some form. It's why affirmations are effective and it's why we're not supposed to talk bad about ourselves if we actually wanna feel differently. But today, we're gonna dive into this on a deeper level. I was actually just reflecting back on a book I had to read in high school and probably many of you did too. It's called 1984. It's that ultimate foreboding tale of Big Brother and what would happen if the government was always watching. One of the parts I found most interesting was, okay, so there's the totalitarian state, Oceana. Well, they actually start to unravel the language over time, removing and banning specific words from the language, then create this new language called Newspeak, which reframes negative things into a positive but delusional counterpart. And this is supposed to keep civilians more submissive and subservient. So basically, this creates positive associations in the brain. So, for example, the Ministry of Love actually deals with torture. I know, where am I going with this? But basically, the premise is, if we don't have the language to describe something, we can't think about it. The people can't stand up and overturn the government and start a revolution because they don't even have the words to conceptualize or imagine what that would even look like. There have actually even been studies showing that The smaller somebody's vocabulary, the less they're able to process emotions. They're also less able to relate to other people. These are really eerie concepts, but there's an upside. Empowered with this knowledge, you can use your words to create your own reality also. Well, today we're gonna dissect this even deeper. Our guest is Mary Shores, the author of a book called Conscious Communications, a step-by-step guide to harnessing the power of your words to change your mind, your choices, and your life. Mary has spent over a decade teaching businesses and people how to identify their goals, create new ways of thinking, and take action to create meaningful results. So today, three key things we will learn are the neuroscience of how words create our realities, the five ways we express ourselves, and a few reality-changing journaling exercises. Before we dive in, I want to invite you to sign up for the morning Mind Love. You'll get short daily reminders of your own beauty, worth, and power, so you can start each day with a positive mindset and keep your vibes up between episodes. To sign up, visit mindlove.com and sign up right there on the homepage. You'll get some amazing free gifts when you do – First, you'll get our exclusive Powerless booklet, which is an awesome free booklet based on proven principles from the most successful people and some of our favorite guests. Plus, you'll get a free guided affirmation meditation set at the Miracle Tone, which is known to help attract love, health, and abundance into your life. The layered affirmations perfectly tune your frequency for personal transformation. So be sure to head to mindlove.com to sign up. Or if you're out and about, just text the word morning to 33777. That's morning to 33777. And now let's welcome Mary Shores to the show.
2: Thanks, Melissa. I'm actually so excited to meet you today. I'm already falling in love with you and your story and what you're doing. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Oh, thank you so much. I love what you're doing too. So this is going to be a great interview. Let's get into your story. Why was conscious communication important enough to you to write a book around the topic?
2: On so many levels, I had felt like for a super long time that I had a book inside of me. And my story is very interesting because I became an entrepreneur at a very young age. At the same time, I had lived through my share of traumas in life. But for whatever reason, instead of becoming a statistic, I really became this successful entrepreneur. And after 15 years in the personal development world, I felt like I just had an excuse my language for this, because it can sound a little out there. But I just feel this strong pull that I have this universal knowledge that I'm somehow meant to give to the world.
1: Okay, first of all, I love what you just said. We all have access to universal knowledge. And we all have something amazing to bring to the world. And it's kind of sad that as a collective, we've so long forgotten this that our first reactions to apologize for knowing who we truly are and how we can shine that the brightest. So thank you for bringing this gift to us. Now, what exactly does it mean to communicate consciously? What it means for me is
2: it's embodying the idea that we are in control of our own realities and then just different ways of how we're manifesting things throughout our life. So like really getting in control of what it is that we're creating and doing that and teaching that in a way that's both written through the lens of science, but also written through the lens of spirituality, because we've gotten to this level of extreme beliefs like we're going to let's say dive into law of attraction but then we take it to such an extreme that we're we're not really in a practical reality anymore. And then there's the consequences of that behavior, such as guilt and shame, because you're not having a positive thought every single second of the day, you know, but like dialing that back and understanding that we need to have a way of processing things when the shit hits the fan in our world, because that's reality and, and that we're here to learn those lessons through the good, the bad, the ugly. That's our soul's
1: journey. I love how you said that we can kind of get down on ourselves when we're not thinking positively. I know that I'm I'm guilty of this because I've worked on myself just so much and I have all these tools. And so when I have my low days, I can't help but think sometimes, did I not grow as much as I thought that I did? Or am I faking this? I say that I, I know how to get out of this, but I just can't right now. What do you do in those situations when despite having the tools, you're still just down on yourself. I think it's a great
2: conversation to have, especially now. So I call that spiritual bullying. So what I mean by this is that everything in our reality, everything in our present moment is really based upon some simple concepts. Like one of them is our belief systems. And so by taking a deep dive into spirituality, which has become this like thing about law of attraction, that we have taken that to such an extreme that if we think a negative thought, then we believe because those seeds have been planted in our mind that we are now going to create negative things because we had this negative thought. But the reality is so much deeper than that, because thoughts are a result of what's in your subconscious mind. And what is in your subconscious mind is bubbling up like through your prefrontal cortex as your thoughts, and you don't have as much control over what's happening in your subconscious. And and you are taking years of practice through whatever that may be yoga, meditation, breath work, you know, just going within, there's just so many paths to free ourselves from those chains of our subconscious mind. But part of the problem is is diving too deeply into these belief systems taking what you just said it's an understanding that if you don't allow yourself to feel those feelings. We we as humans, we assign that as being negative, but really experience is just experience and emotions are a spectrum, a spectrum of everything from like despair and anger and hopelessness all the way up to, you know, joy and bliss and happiness and excitement and, and everything in between. And our bodies are like the receptors of taking in our world and then interpreting it through the creation of these emotions, which is all created by the neurochemistry in our brain which is again coming up through our nervous system and our subconscious mind. So if you don't allow yourself to feel those feelings because when we get uncomfortable or we're having a an emotional time which I actually just spent this past weekend in a lot of like darker emotions, crying and a lot of that. But you have two choices. You can either reach for your phone and try to search out like a kitten video and a tutu to make you laugh because we're so uncomfortable with those darker sides that we want to get ourselves out of it. But in by getting ourselves out of it, what we're really doing is repressing. Because those emotions are bubbling up almost like champagne bubbles, like bubbling up to the surface of a champagne flute. When those emotions are bubbling up, the way to let them come up and and out and release from your body is to sit with them, is to explore them, is to take a moment of self-care, self-care meaning I'm taking space for myself. And just being in that and letting yourself cry, you know, I used to never, if I, if I felt bad, it would immediately be like, what can I do to cheer myself up right now in this very moment?
1: So is there a healthy and unhealthy way to sit with those emotions or is just sitting with them enough? And how do you know if you're taking it too far and wallowing?
2: That's a really great point. So, I actually wrote a process called Five Steps to Break Through Your Breakdown. And I think it's one of the things we're not really trained for in life anymore. You know, it's like the expectation is we go through life, we have all these responsibilities, we're constantly doing, doing, doing. And so, when something happens, we're also sort of like in the middle of this blame culture. Like, everything always has to be someone's fault. And we have to like trace it back to the root of the when, when really. All of those behaviors, I think, are actually the unhealthy behaviors. To me, the healthy behaviors are to let the emotions be. And then when it gets to the point where it's taking a toll on your life, like say it's turned into a depression where you're not able to function as well. You know, like it's keeping you from your daily activities or keeping you from being able to go to work. Well, you can start to explore things that are going to create a little bit of dopamine and serotonin in your mind, which is actually very simple. So, for example, one of the things that you can do is you can write a list of all the things that are bothering you. And the way that our human mind works is our brain really likes list making. And so there's a study done by Matthew Lieberman from UCLA that shows that just by naming your problems, you will create enough serotonin and dopamine to actually feel better about them. And so what that's like is this is my imagery, but I'll feel like I'm in the dark hole. Like there's been a hole dug and it's dark and it's damp and it's scary and there's no light. So when you do that process of naming it, it's like someone threw me a flashlight in the hole and I can turn on the flashlight and at least I can see. And then when you do that, it's going to start to trigger certain areas of your brain that are your problem solving areas. So you're creating that list and then just naturally and organically, an idea will start to come to you, which is a solution to that. And so this is what I mean by being taught to process things versus I don't know. We're just not taught anything what to do other than just be happy, like be happy all the time
1: and you won't have any problems. Why do you think it is that these tools aren't passed down? It's something that everybody deals with. A lot of people have taken therapy and at least have some insight into these things. Maybe it's just that people are so uncomfortable with emotions in general that the idea of facing someone else's on top of their own is just too much.
2: Well, I definitely think that in my own family that was true. Like, I went through a lot of abandonment as a child, and I would try to talk to my mom about these things and how I was feeling because I didn't understand. And that was not a good move to make with her because she was not wanting to face any of my emotions because my emotions were a reflection of mistakes that she had made. So she wasn't even able or capable of looking at those things. And like, it's so interesting to me because sometimes I feel like I'm sort of in the middle of this sandwich generation between like how my parents screwed me up, but then like, how, despite my best efforts, like, how am I, now passing those imprints along to my children. And I don't remember being taught how to process emotions in school or in, you know, in any even like religious practice. I just don't think it's part of
1: our culture right now. It's funny you brought this up because I was just talking to my mom about this. She listened to one of my podcast episodes where I mentioned some of the harmful effects of being raised with religion. And my mom was kind of hurt. And she said, you know, I was doing the best I could with what I knew at the time. And she honestly did. I have such an amazing mother that I'm so grateful for. Well, when my mom was growing up, her parents, as amazing as they were, didn't say I love you very often. And so when I was young, my mom shared that with me and made it a point to raise me with all the I love yous. Well, I told my mom, I'm not sharing things on my podcast to call you out. I'm sharing stories to speed up progress and to hopefully improve the next generation, just like she did when she recognized that kids need to be told I love you more. But I can totally see the discomfort in recognizing the things that we want to change because it feels like we're calling out mistakes.
2: Absolutely. and in we're learning more and more through epigenetics how these things are passed on. like I read in one book it described it as dragons attached to your DNA. like there's always been this argument, right? Like nature versus nurture. So what is more powerful in our life? Well, it turns out it's both because our genetic our DNA coding passes through our genetics, but the way that those genes express themselves, is really more controlled by epigenetics or by your environment. And so as we're going through this paradigm shift, it's interesting how we can talk about these things. And we we naturally know it needs to be different, but maybe we're still sort of figuring out how to make it different. And people like you who are investing in being a leader for that next generation is is so very important because that generation, especially like the millennial generation, they're suffering with more anxiety than Than has ever been. It's a fascinating paradigm. And so I love it that you can talk to your mother that way. It's not like that between my mother and I, but that's okay. Because like, I really understand too, that she's a product of her childhood and the things that she went through, you know, trauma is such an interesting thing, because whatever traumas that we've been through, it's not really about what the thing is that happened in the past. It's really about how that trauma impacts you in the present moment because of those things being like stuck and lodged Into your body because our bodies are like libraries, and they're these libraries that have stored everything that has ever happened to us. So as you were talking about like these emotions coming up, what's happening is there's some sort of access from the subconscious mind that accesses that memory and it recreates the chemicals that happened when the trauma first happened. So for example, with me, when I was three years old and I was abandoned, whenever I'm in a relationship and a relationship ends, I literally feel like I'm dying and it's because it triggers in me something that happened when I was three that affected my very survival. And so my body goes right into that. It remembers it pulls up all of the same neurochemistry in the exact recipe. In the book, I call this 50 Shades of Chocolate Cake because it's like we all have these like chemical recipes. And so it pulls that up. But if we can now as an adult process those emotions in a healthy way, we can release them because when we were three, we didn't have that opportunity.
1: So these things that get stuck in our subconscious and then our subconscious feeds our thoughts. So then how do we begin to rewrite these things or to process them or find healing in them? I think that there's so many ways. I mean, one thing is just
2: not forcing them to go away. Another way, like we've talked about, is journaling, writing them down. Another thing is yoga. I mean, yoga is so amazing. It was a huge part of my journey for many years, just like a yoga practice that allows these things to release from your body. And you don't even always know what they are. Like If you're feeling sad from out of nowhere, you might not know what the root of it is but there's always like the root or the original spiritual injury if you will like the thing that separated you from yourself i was listening to a speech by dr gabor mate and he was talking about these like spiritual injuries or these traumas that we go through being like creating another layer of skin and that we can have up to 40 layers and it's all of that is keeping us from seeing who we really are and so as we like peel back and peel back we're, we're getting closer to the source connection of who we really are, which is powerful beyond anything that we can even understand. Our consciousness is so infinite. Peeling back each layer, you can dive deeper and deeper into who you really are. One of the things that I think is fascinating to talk about, like in our sort of spiritual world and, and all of these things is that concept of alignment because alignment in terms of law of attraction would be something that I would feel like got talked about, but not practical. How do you get in alignment? And so originally, I always thought of this as getting your thoughts, your words, your actions in alignment with your goals. Like it was very goal oriented for me. And what I'm realizing now is getting into alignment is those things, but it's also forgiveness. So you talked about being raised in a, any kind of Religious tradition, we sort of were taught that we had to pray for forgiveness to this deity in the sky, or else we would be judged as a sinner. And what I'm learning is the true forgiveness is from within, because it's really the fact that we haven't forgiven ourselves for something that might have happened even decades ago that contributes to that being out of alignment. You can't truly be in alignment when there's something that you haven't forgiven yourself for, or you're moving into alignment. The more that you're healing yourself, the more that you're moving into alignment and also bringing out your authenticity of who you really are. And then when you do that, you move into this powerful space of being able to manifest.
1: Right. It's shifting the forgiveness from something outside yourself to within. The more I study spirituality and different religions, the more I realize the truths in all sacred texts. The Bible says salvation is when you live with the Holy Spirit inside of you. It's saying the same thing as recognizing that God or source or universe within ourselves, just with a different visual. And you can read most of the Bible with this shift in perspective, and suddenly it lines up with a more general spirituality. It's just that shift from a God separate from us, to the belief that that's who we already are and we just need to recognize it. So my belief is that there's divinity within all of us and that divinity seeks expression through us as individuals. And that's why it's important to find our strengths and find where we can give the most value or serve the most here on the planet. So then if that's the goal, how do we begin to seek our authentic selves or even figure out what our authentic self is?
2: You know, I'm so glad that you said that because it's so true. I mean, as a culture, we've lost touch of even what it means to be authentic because we are bombarded with all these belief systems of what we should be. You know, and like reaching those highest potentials. I think that there's a lot of ways to get in in touch with it. One of the easiest ones is to talk about, like we talk about purpose a lot. Like I call it purpose with the big P word. Like purpose has become this thing that's elusive and it's hiding behind a curtain, and and we have to go through like you know the Luke Skywalker hero's journey to figure out what our purpose is. When truly, it's so much simpler than that. It's like going back and asking yourself what are my natural skills gifts and talents what is it that i'm naturally good at that i like doing that it makes me happy and understanding that that is the thing that you came in here to do and if you just spend more of your focus because you know there's focus another one of these law of attraction terms what you focus on grows when you focus on your own skills that you've brought into the world then those skills grow and lead to more opportunities. It becomes like a super synchronistic thing that taps you into it. But again, we're seeing that through those 40 layers of skin. And so it's so difficult because we haven't sort of learned this way. But it's never too late because we can start right now, today, and start removing those layers, start healing the things from our past and start tapping into our gifts all at the same time you know it goes into this other thing empowerment because empowerment has also been a really big buzzword lately our emotions are like they're like a roller coaster you know they change they can change drastically in a 10-hour period but like my feeling is the more that we step into a state of being of empowerment the closer that we're constantly getting to becoming our true authentic self
1: But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, The Dr. John Deloney Show is here for you. Listen to The Dr. John Deloney Show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. I'm constantly sharing with my clients to stop searching in life and instead start aligning.
0: risk free. If you don't like it, you'll get your money back. No questions asked. Receive a free element sample pack with any order when you purchase through drinkelement.com slash mindlove. That's drinklmnt.com slash mindlove to get a free starter pack with any order.
1: Going back to what you said about peeling back those layers I've been working on the same things, purpose and figuring out what to do with my life. And a lot of my listeners know that this podcast was a huge result of that. Well, I realized that part of my purpose is to share some of my stories. They had to have happened for a reason. Otherwise, life is just cruel. And on one hand, it's been so rewarding to share some of these darker parts of my life and have people reach back out and thank me and relate and feel less alone because of it. But on the other hand, just like you said, you spent the last few days in some dark emotions. There have been times that I have too. And I'm starting to wonder if digging up some of these things can have consequences. There have just been some old kind of traumatic memories and emotions that have come up that I haven't thought about or felt in a long time. For example, I have had a couple dreams bringing up past moments and people that, frankly, I don't like to think about. And I woke up the other day and said to myself, I thought I was through this. How do you avoid that? Or is there no way to avoid it? Or is it just a natural part of sharing yourself?
2: Well, I think that the first thing that comes to my mind is to have ultimate gratitude because here again, you're being given the opportunity to heal that your body is giving you the opportunity to explore that and process it now as an adult instead of as a child or or whenever it first happened, you know, you're not actually in the trauma, but the trauma is having an impact. I know for myself, especially because when I was 20, I had a, a daughter who died and it was, it was very emotional she was born with a Severe brain damage from lack of oxygen to the brain and I spent as a 20 year old the next year and a half of my life Living in children's hospitals and seeing things that you can never ever really unsee And it's so fascinating to me how the body remembers because two years ago I was traveling to ohio to see a friend who was terminally ill with cancer and he was literally dying any day now and when I was driving there I started crying all of a sudden and I looked up and I was literally passing the children's hospital that I had not seen in 20 plus years. But my body knew exactly where I was and I started crying. And so I know that it's these things that are still unhealed. It's one of these layers of these 40 skins. But when we live through these things, how do we determine who becomes a statistic and who becomes resilient? And the thing is, it's in the way that we attach ourselves to these stories, because the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves quite often become our identity. And what I've learned is that the most beautiful part of your story is in how you moved on from it. And so as you're telling your story, because that is um, and the same thing happens to me, As you're regurgitating it and sharing it with the world so that you can help to heal them, it's putting your emotions back in that place. But when you can realize what were the steps and share those steps, like how was I able to remove myself out of that? What was the moment when I could turn back and realize it for what it was? So whether that was five years later, 10 years later, or whether it happened very quickly, that's the beautiful part of the story. It's in when you moved on. And that's sort of like the point of the story when you're sharing it. So doing that and also taking care of yourself because those stories also are a part of your character. So taking some space for yourself and being gentle with yourself for whatever that looks like, I think is the right way to do it so that you can still share.
1: This is totally true. The universe gives us what we can handle. This is the basis for repressed memories, something crazy or shocking or traumatic happens and the mind unconsciously pushes it into some black hole of the brain. This can happen on multiple levels. In severe cases, your mind can completely wipe out large blocks of time. In my case, I just went long periods without thinking about certain things. And then those things suddenly popped back up and wouldn't go away until I began to process them. Like the universe knew, I could handle it now. It's still super uncomfortable, and it brought up a lot of negative emotions, but I could handle it. The way I see it is we have two choices. We can keep pushing this stuff down and avoid the discomfort, or we can start to sift through our shit. This metaphor is gonna be kind of gross, but all the other ones just seemed a little bit too cliche. So if we choose the route of shit sifter, we have something to give. Our colon's clean, we can move, we feel lighter. And when we're done, we have the ability to help someone else sift through their shit. But if we leave it all in there, Yeah, we might keep our hands clean, but we're definitely going to be weighed down. And that shit's going to leak through and affect other areas of your life, including health, emotions, relationships. Unprocessed stuff doesn't help anybody. Think of your junk drawer. You do a quick clean and shove everything into the top drawer. Yeah, you might ease a little bit of stress momentarily when things on the outside look clean, but then you have that underlying level of stress that that drawer is filling up. Then it does, and you move on to the next drawer, and your whole life ends up being shoving things away into dark little corners to keep the appearance of being a clean, well-balanced person. But before you know it, your friends and family are calling A&E, and you're the next featured Hoarders episode. If you don't control the problem, the problem controls you. So, if you don't get the idea, I'm sure I can think of nine other metaphors, but for now, I'll leave it at this. If stuff is coming up in your life deal with it, confront it, sit with it. The only way to bring yourself out of the darkness is to shed light on the darkness.
2: You know, when I was talking about empowerment, there's something really important here because a lot of times when we're regurgitating those stories, we can feel like we're in a disempowered state. And what you want to do also is not be creating stuff when you're in this disempowered state. So if we think about how well we feel on a scale of, say, one to 20, And a lot of times when I'm regurgitating things from the past, I might be at like a level seven. Well, everything that I create, everything I manifest from that level seven is going to also be a level seven. And that's not very good. So it's like everything you're creating is stressful. It's chaotic. It's uncertain. And it just keeps you swirling in that foundation of unworthiness and shame. But if you can step back a little bit and you can take care of yourself and you can wait until you feel more like of a level 17. Now you're in that state of being of empowerment. And when you're feeling that empowerment, which we all know that it's like everything just feels so vibrant and alive. That's the moment that you want to be creating. That's the moment when you want to take action because everything you create from a place of empowerment is going to show up stronger, faster, better, longer lasting, and most importantly, more impactful. So there you go. When you're in that regurgitated state of those emotions coming up, you take space for yourself you allow those emotions to move through, you take care of yourself, even if that means crying for five hours. And then you'll notice when you're finished, two days later, you're going to ultimately feel lighter. And you're going to start feeling yourself moving up those emotional frequency scale until you get to that place of empowerment. It's just quite a miracle, really, when you think about it.
1: When you say before we begin creating, what do you mean by that? And how do we awaken our ability to create, especially in a society that drives us to consume so much? Everything you say,
2: everything you do, every word that comes out of your mouth, every choice you take, every action you make in the thinnest sliced moment of life is either creating a deeper connection to what you want, or it's driving a disconnection. And so to understand that in every moment, the smallest moments, we're always creating what we're creating is a reflection of that inner world. So if I am at a seven, then my business is at a seven. My personal life is at a seven. My relationships are at a seven because everything I'm creating is from that state of being. But if I can now understand, okay, that is not the time to be creating. That is not the time to be manifesting. What I need to do is manifest a better feeling state before I take action to create in the 3D world. So what that can look like is journaling, is taking care of myself, is taking a bubble bath, just being introspective until I feel better because we're just always manifesting our circumstances in life. I have a process in the book, it's in chapter five called Cleanse or Clog, which is just a really easy way to check in with yourself and just say like, if I do this thing, will this cleanse me or clog me?
1: I love that. Can you give us an example of how we can practically use this cleanser clog method in our lives? it applies to
2: every area of life. And I think the easiest thing for me to explain it with is with food. So if I'm on a diet and I want to lose 20 pounds, then I don't really need to go out and learn like paleo or keto or whatever complicated diet plans are. What I really just need to do is intuitively look at a piece of food and say, if I put this in my body, will it cleanse me or clog me? And that makes it really simple, right? Because if I look at an apple and I know if I put this apple in my body, it's going to cleanse me versus if I look at a Snickers bar and a diet pop, I know that that's going to clog me. And then it's just quite simply making the choices, choosing the thing that's going to cleanse you more often, or I like to say 80-20. 80% of the time choosing those cleansing choices over choosing the clogging choices. And if you do that for 45 days, you'll see such a tremendous shift. So it's like, if you apply this to say your personal relationship with your significant other, you know, understand that everything you say, everything you do, every action you take, every choice you make in the thinnest sliced moments of that relationship is either creating a deeper connection or driving a disconnection. And when you think about that, when you get ready to send that text, is this text going to cleanse or clog? If it's a work situation, you know, say you're somebody that has a hard time making it on time to work. It's like, well, is being late to work cleansing my career or clogging it? And then we just mold our choices in the direction because awareness of your choices is the true keys to freedom. And so as you're aware of your choices and then you're being in it in just a two second thing, will this cleanse or clog? And if the answers clog, really think about whether you want to move forward with that.
1: I'm really glad you specified 80% of the time because I think expecting 100% perfection can do more harm than good. We might feel, well, I've already broken the streak, so I'm just going to throw it all to the wind. Or we feel so guilty about making a mistake or not following our diet or our new habit that we self-sabotage with numbing behaviors. I like to learn and study self-growth so rapidly that it's not always even feasible to apply things as fast as I learn them, so I can get really discouraged with that. But really, I just haven't built the habits or have enough momentum behind the change for it to be lasting. What are your tips for making positive change part of your lifestyle?
2: Well, I think practicing it as a daily practice is really good. I'm super into having daily practices, whether it's a gratitude practice or, you know, we have one that we're giving a gift to your listeners, which is the Daily Desires Diary, which I can go into that and explain about what that is. I think with cleanser clog, it's so important what you just said, because trying to be perfect is actually a clog in and of itself, because you can't you can't achieve that. And you need to allow yourself the freedom to not feel. That's why I'm like, it's so important to have this 80 20 rule. If 80% of the time you are making cleansing connected choices, it will change your life in dramatic, dramatic ways and very, very quickly, because you just open the doors of synchronicity all the time. And so just even asking yourself as a daily practice, like what can I do to cleanse my situation today, maybe pick something. So for example, let's say you're getting your tax return. You could look at it as an opportunity to like invest or pay off debt or, you know, do something to improve your circumstances. And that would be very cleansing. And then the alternative would be, oh, I just got my tax return. Let me go out and buy a big screen TV or a new coach purse or whatever and just kind of like blow the money. Well, that's very much a clog.
1: You've mentioned a few different journaling exercises, and journaling is something that I'm just now getting into, and I feel like it goes back to (laughs) feeling a little clogged in my ability to create for a long time. And to be honest, the first time I sat down to journal, I thought, what am I even supposed to write about? Am I just supposed to write about my day? That kind of feels more like a Facebook status from 2010. You already mentioned listing the things that bother you or listing things that you're grateful for, but what are some of your other most beneficial journaling exercises?
2: in the book, there's a coaching exercise at the end of every chapter. But what's really cool about it is each one of them builds on the other. So you start off by creating a gratitude practice. And then in chapter two, you create a list of 100 things you love about yourself, which is so hard to do. It sounds like it would be the easiest thing in the world. But what happens is you get through this like 10 or 20 superficial things and you start to run out. And what's really fascinating to me is that there's been several blogs written about the book, Conscious Communications, just like by other random people who've read the book. And the one that they write the blog on is that 100 things list. It took me a month to write out 100 things that I like about myself. So that's one. But the Daily Desires Diary, which is the one that I'm giving everyone, you're going to do this daily. It will take like two to five minutes. You're going to write out three things that you're grateful for every single day, and gratitude is so important because, again, just like forgiveness, if you grew up with a religious practice, gratitude was something that you owed a debt of gratitude to God. And again, it's not about that. For me, it's about the neuroscience of understanding that when you take time to have a gratitude practice, what you're doing is you're creating different neural pathways in your subconscious that build a strength and prime the muscle in your brain to connect you to those things that are more joyous in life. It's so important and it can create miracles. So three things that you're grateful for. Also three moments from the day that you're proud of. This is again, from a neuroscience perspective, it's such a powerful thing because when you take time, you know, as women, especially we're not taught to brag on ourselves. We're taught to be humble and we're also taught things like it's not ladylike to be proud of yourself. But neuroscience shows if you take a moment to reminisce on your small wins, you're strengthening those sectors of your brain that solve problems. Anytime you had a small win, whether it was getting an A on a test whether it was landing that job or getting a big sale or doing something miraculous with your kid it was a strategy your brain developed a strategy in order to create that win and so when you take the time every day to say here's three moments of today that i'm proud of what you're doing is you're strengthening that area of your brain that comes up with those strategies in the first place so just like a bicep if you work out your bicep with weights that bicep is going to grow well there's Ways that we can alter our brain to make our brain work optimally, kind of like a biohacking thing. And then the last thing is writing down three things every day that you desire. This is why I call it the daily desires diary, because from a law of attraction standpoint, like really stating down on paper, what are the things we want? Because we spend so much of our time focused on everything that we don't want. Every time when we're focused on what we don't want, it keeps us swirling in the, that chaos and uncertainty of all of the problems in life. Where if we can just give ourselves five minutes to do this diary and you do it every single day, and I always say to do it for 45 days because that's how long I notice in myself it takes to uh, make real change in the subconscious.
1: I can definitely attest for tracking small wins because I feel like that's one of the most life-changing new habits that I adopted. Well, it might not have been the most life-changing, but it definitely made me feel the most different and seemed to build momentum for more positive things to happen. So when I first started tracking my wins, at the end of the day, it would take me a while and I'd think, did I even have any wins today? So many things happen in our day, and we naturally dwell on the bad things, so we bury the good. So it's easy to believe that nothing good happened that day, or nothing good ever happens to you. So when I started tracking my wins, throughout the day I'd be looking for them, which trains your brain to acknowledge them and give them more merit. And that extra acknowledgement feels like a mini celebration, and it makes the good things more noteworthy. I started Seeking out things to be proud of instead of being consumed by disappointment. That's so brilliant.
2: And I love it that you totally get this because the alternative is how much time we spend allowing that crazy roommate in our head to be critical of ourselves every single moment. We're so abusive to ourselves. And so having this other daily practice, which primes our brain to support us instead of destroy us.
1: You talk about five types of self-expression. What are they and how do they help us? It kind of
2: started with a study of affirmations. And so what I did was I actually wrote a page of affirmations a day. But in order to define conscious communications, I wanted to expand it. And so I came up with these five things. One of them is self-talk. Self-talk is what's in our subconscious mind. And it's what is passing those instructions from our subconscious up to our prefrontal cortex. So an example of this is When we're telling ourselves inside of our head, we're either criticizing ourselves or we're telling ourselves, Yeah, you can do that thing. The next version of that is the spoken words. Because what's amazing about words is words are like a mirror to that self talk in the subconscious. And so, my own personal story of this is that for 10 years, I wanted to write a book, and I would literally say, I want to write a book. But I'm not a writer. And so because words are a mirror to our subconscious, it's like when you hear me say the words, I want to write a book, and you can see it written on my soul that I came into this life to write a book. But when the next words out of my mouth are, but I'm not a writer, those words are also revealing something from my subconscious that somewhere, somehow I had developed a belief that I wasn't actually capable of writing a book. And so this isn't about writing because we all do this. It's like, how often do we say, I want to start a business, but I don't have enough money or I don't have the education. Or it's like we say what we desire and then we say the but excuse of why we can't have it. And so that spoken word, that's why it's the second thing of self-expression. And then affirmations is the third type of the five because affirmations is a way that you can start to declare that what you want to be true is true. And affirmations are so cool because it is a tool to start to reprogram that subconscious mind. And in the book, I give a strategy of writing affirmations because for me, it was very important that I did not say affirmations that felt like a lie. And there's been some research now that uncovers that if you say affirmations that you don't really believe or they don't make you feel good, it'll actually just reinforce the more negative neural network. Now, that's not true for everybody because some people can get really into it. But I just was one of those people that I needed to say affirmations that felt true to me and I needed them to fit my situation. So one, of, some of my favorite ones were things like something amazing is going to happen today. I mean, that's a really great affirmation that made me feel good or guide me to thoughts in harmony with my core desire. I would say, help me rendezvous with like-minded people. So these were like my affirmations that I would start with every day and then sort of build on there. Another type of self-expression is goals. It's just a way of connecting to your more highest potential because we're living in a time when I think that a lot of us accept that infinite possibilities are available to all of us. And there's plenty of research that supports that people who take the time to document their goals or write them down or you know just have some sort of goal-setting practice actually are much more likely to do the things, to take the action to reach their goals. And so in the book, in the last chapter, I have something called the one page action plan, which is very much like a goal setting practice. And the last one is gratitude, which we've talked a little bit about, like the power of gratitude, being a feeling emotion that's going to like be a daily practice to connect us to those things that will follow a path of inviting even more blissed out emotions.
1: I love what you said about creating affirmations that you really believe in. I was just reading the book Presence by Amy Cuddy, and she talks about that, too. I think it brings us back to what we spoke about earlier about finding our authentic selves because say I've never wanted to be a neurosurgeon, but it ran in my family and my parents were hoping I'd follow in their footsteps and say, instead I really wanted to be an author or a podcast host. I could sit in the front of the mirror all day and say, I am a neurosurgeon (laughs) and depending on my own mind power, I might actually get there But not only will it probably not make me happy, I almost guarantee it will be harder than it would be for the person whose soul or entire being is yearning for this path. Because in those cases, that's when the whole universe conspires with you. So in combining those two things of first figuring out what brings you joy and what brings you energy and peeling back those layers to find out who you truly are and find out what value you are supposed to bring to this world. And then creating affirmations supporting those things, it can be the most powerful, rewarding practice you ever do.
2: It's so true, because it resonates with you, whereas the I am a neurosurgeon, or, you know, I'm like, I always use the example, if you're finding a job, you know, if you're unemployed, and you're looking for a job, and you say the affirmation, I have the best job in the world. You might feel a little annoyed by that statement because you don't even have a job. So that research is is supporting that that actually is not helpful. But if you say, I have opportunities around me every day, that is a much easier thing that's going to resonate or guide me to opportunities today. Because these affirmations are like instructions that you give to your brain. And so the more you can mold your affirmation to fit your present circumstances and that it actually makes you feel good, the better result that I believe you're going to get. Now, there are plenty of people who can get into like the visualization of living in the mansion and traveling the world, and that's perfect for them. But I kind of feel like there's two buckets of people. There's the buckets of people that are super good at doing that. And then there's the people like me who are more, I need this to fit more real. I was at a yoga retreat speaking and this was a few months ago and I offered to the audience, let's do the three steps of creating rocking affirmations and let me help you. And so a woman came up to me and she's like, well, I'm a fashion designer. She goes, I want to create an affirmation around fashion design, but I always feel like such an imposter because I don't have a degree. And I said, okay, well, tell me what you do. And she goes, well, I create fashion for pregnant women. And I just said to her, okay, well, my designs make pregnant women feel beautiful and maternal and sexy or something like that. And her face just lit up. And I always know that's the right affirmation is when their face just lights up like a Christmas tree, because what it did was it tapped into what she wants to create with these women or like for you, my podcast is changing lives. It's a ripple effect that's creating a reflection of the world of healing or whatever would be your result that you're looking for. Yeah, it's so fun to get into affirmations.
1: Right. We have to create affirmations that light that spark. I think we get into these generic affirmations like I have a million dollars, you know, just things that don't speak to our soul or are too far from what we've ever experienced. So it's hard to grasp what it would be like. Like no one's life purpose is to have a million (laughs) dollars. You might become a millionaire through creating things the world thinks is valuable or become a millionaire so that you have more resources to reach more people. But the important part is finding something that you can really feel inside because that feeling is the essential ingredient to creating change in your reality. But again, you need to start by peeling back those layers, figuring out, as Paul Selleck says in last week's episode, what things you've claimed that aren't the real you or aren't your authentic self. So thank you so much for all the wisdom you've shared on how our words shape our reality. And for listeners who are interested in learning more about you, where can they find you online? My website is maryshores.com.
2: So that's where everything lives. I write a weekly blog. So that's super fun because there's always a coaching exercise in the weekly blog. Obviously, you can get the Daily Desires download. And if you want to interact in a more personal way – you are welcome to join my Facebook group. It's called Fearless Ambition. And, you know, I just do daily posts and do a a lot of times I do like a weekly training series. So just going on video and doing a training series about something and I always like to ask my big ask is if you resonated with what I'm teaching you or what my story is please go on Amazon and check out the book conscious communications if you read the description and maybe a handful of reviews I think you'll know right away if this book is for you
1: for all the links mentioned in this episode including Mary Shore's website easy access to her book and her desire diary go to mindlove.com slash 039. Over the course of this week, I want to challenge you guys to be aware of the words you say and really bring awareness, like write down the amount of times that you accidentally slip a negative word or better yet, reframe it. My husband's success coach got us on this kick where if anybody ever says, I always procrastinate, he has them reframe it to something like, In the past, I resisted difficult tasks, but I honor the commitments I make to myself and do what needs to be done without wasting my own time. Most likely, you're gonna notice some pretty negative patterns that you didn't know you had, but don't let this discourage you. It's the first step to change. All you have to worry about is not letting those negative statements linger. Replace them and move on. And before you know it, those negative word choices, those things you say bad about yourself, those self-doubting thoughts are going to become less and less frequent. And your reality is going to become more and more abundant. So let me know your progress either on our show notes page at mindlove.com slash 039 or a comment on CastBox. And if you have a free moment, please leave a review on either Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. It's super helpful to the growth of the show, which helps me bring more amazing guests to you guys. If you want inspiration to keep your vibes up between episodes, you can meet me on Instagram at mindlovepodcast or sign up for the Morning Mind Love, where you'll get short daily reminders of your own awesomeness. Thanks for giving your mind a little love today, and I'll see you next week.